Good morning, my name's Daniel and we'll be reading from Matthew 23, 1 to 12 and then skipping to the 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And skipping over to 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Well, uh... Back in 2013, I discovered a surefire way to make your wife absolutely freak out and get very mad at you. I went to Jerusalem on my own without her. I was a little tour group, but she wasn't there. And one evening, I sent her a text message saying, Alison, I had rocks thrown at me today. And you can imagine her response, quite the freak out, quite the panic. Uh, I got told off roundly for putting myself in such danger. Uh, What had happened was... Uh, The day before, I had been wandering down one of the streets of the old city of Jerusalem, as you do, uh, and I'd gone up a particular street that I thought looked perfectly fine. It's a bit of a maze, this city, and so I'm just wandering up this street when a rock comes flying past me, and I just assume that someone's kicked a rock or something, but then another one comes, and another one, and I turn around, and there's a bunch of boys, Palestinian boys. They're standing at the other end of the street. And it became very obvious that if they had wanted to hit me with any one of those rocks, they very well could have. These were warning shots. You're on our street. Get off our street. And so I did what you would do, and I turned around and hightailed out of there and was panicky as. Uh, Sent my text message to Alison, and she freaked out. The next day, I was back with the tour group, and we went up onto the Temple Mount. You've probably seen pictures of the the Temple Mount. Uh, These days, it's a big Muslim site in Uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem. Uh, It was originally the place where the temple of God was built. It is still to this day the largest man-made platform in the entire world. We went up onto the Temple Mount. You're only that up there as a Westerner for about one hour every day. And I was reminded as I went up there 
of why those Palestinian boys had thrown rocks at me the day before. Uh, because the Temple Mount is the site of one of the worst massacres in all of history. Uh, when the Crusaders in the year 1099 marched across Europe, marched on into Israel to take back the Holy Land, uh, they went into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the locals, Muslim locals, fled to the Temple Mount. They thought, up here we will be treated with respect, up here we will be safe, but not so much. Uh, these Crusaders, carrying the banner of Christ, walked in and slaughtered thousands of people. Apparently the blood was so thick that it was running, you know, up to your ankles across this entire massive site. And it made me realise, there's a pretty good reason why there's all this animosity still to this day between folks who look like me and folks who look like them. There are some real blights in the history of church. Last year, I was helping someone from church with an assignment. She was doing like a religious studies assignment. She needed some, some info on like modern day takes on religion. You know, what do people believe? And I was able to put her onto this book, which I found extremely helpful. It's called Jesus Among Secular Gods. Uh, it's a brilliant book about all these kind of secular things that people believe that they treat as being of religious importance. Fantastic book. She found it very helpful for her assignment. Uh, it's written by two guys, Vince Vitale, brilliant guy, and another guy named Ravi Zacharias. Now, earlier this year, it came out that Ravi Zacharias, who has died, was a sexual abuser. That he would often uh, spend months on supposed writing retreats in Southeast Asia, where he was instead preying on young women, unbeknownst to his family and his wife and his friends and everyone, really. There are these blights in the history of the church. Ravi Zacharias has, read, has led tens of thousands of people to faith in Jesus. But what's going on under the surface is terrible and horrible. We've been on this kind of really interesting journey the last couple of months. Uh, Christianity, true and good, making the case that there is truth to Christianity, there's also goodness to Christianity. But we've got to deal with this topic, don't we? If we're going to say that it's good... We have to deal with the topic of the terrible, bad behaviour of the church at times. Because the church does have this somewhat murky past. And it still, to this day, has a somewhat murky present. There are plenty, plenty of skeletons in the church closet. You know, you're probably familiar with some of them. The, the religiously driven wars, witch trials and crusades and inquisitions and sex abuse scandals and then the cover-ups that come with them and, and, and a church that, to many, seems to care more about power and prestige than love and lowliness. What do you do with that? There's a famous English atheist named Christopher Hitchens, died a few years ago. He used to point to this murky, murky history of the church and say, this is why we cannot possibly take Christianity seriously. His line was, religion poisons everything, particularly the Christian religion. He would point to all these wars from around the globe, from across history, continuing to this day, and say, what is going on here? These are all driven by religion. We wouldn't be fighting one another if religion had just stayed out of things. Now, his specific accusation was that if the fruits of an organisation, if the fruits of a movement are kind of corrupt and rotten, what does that say about the roots of it? You know, if the things that Christianity does in the world look so messy at times, then surely the things at the heart of it, what its doctrines are, its message about Jesus and God and each other, maybe they are things that poison the well, that poison how we think, that 
that have planted bad seeds that are bearing bad fruit. I'm aware that for some of us, the kind of murky history of the church is just something that we've read about, heard about, thought about. For others, though, it's very different. For others, the murky history of the church is something that we've personally experienced. You know, being personally let down and disappointed by someone who should have cared, someone who should have loved. I know that that's many people's experience today. Churches and clergy, they were, they were once ranking really high on those lists of respected, trusted institutions. But for the last few decades, it's been on the downhill slide. You know, so many people now look at the church and Christianity and they think scandal, they think sexually depraved, they think selfish. And so therefore, it's just a very short hop, skip and jump to go, I don't want to be part of that. Yuck! I'll keep myself out of that if at all possible. Plenty of people out there, they hear about Jesus and they kind of like the idea of Him. But if getting Jesus means you've got to have His church at the same time, then for stacks of folk, that's a deal breaker. So what can we say about this? What can we do about this? What can we think about this? Is this the thing that trips up Christianity that makes it not good? Let me share some thoughts. The first is that we can't stand it and Jesus can't stand it either. We can't stand it, but Jesus can't stand it either. I'm here and the minister of our church. I get to talk with stacks of Christians. I get to interact with stacks of Christian leaders from around the world. Let me tell you, the church as a whole today cannot stand the hypocrisy that occasionally pops up. The church today looks at it and does everything it can to root it out, to find it and bring it to an end. The church today spends stacks of effort, and so it should, in making sure that people are loved and looked after and protected when they're part of the church. And so we should because of just how clear and compelling and challenging Jesus was on this very topic. No one in history has ever been clearer on their hatred of religious hypocrisy than Jesus himself. Jesus actually gets the credit for inventing the modern use of the word hypocrite. Now, hypocrite is originally a really old Greek word. It means masked actor. Back in Jesus' days, an, um, an actor would often wear multiple different masks while they're acting on the stage. You know, they're playing one character, put on one mask. And then in order to portray another character, simple, you just swap onto a different mask. Really easy way of, of changing who you are. Jesus experienced that phenomenon and said, this is just like so many of the religious leaders of my day. They are hypocrites. They are actors. They are fakers. They are pretenders. They're wearing one mask, pretending to be one kind of person, but then swapping it out, living these double lives. And Jesus observes that and he says, shame on you, this is terrible. Verse 23, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, disgusting image here, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. He keeps going, verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, they're full of greed and indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus is calling out hypocrisy in big ways. He's, he's standing up for integrity, especially amongst people who claim to be leaders amongst God's people. He's teaching that it's not good enough to just be all good and shiny on the outside. Being 
fine and presentable and upright on the outside, but corrupt on the inside is pathetic. It's a sham. It's something that we should be ashamed of. And so I think we can, we can say with confidence that please don't be put off of listening to Jesus on account of the behaviour of some people who claim to be his, but actually misrepresent him completely. What, whatever might have repulsed you about the actions of some Christians in the past or even in the present, remember that those same actions repulse Jesus as well. If you hate hypocrisy, if it drives you crazy, if you're frustrated and upset by people acting that way, then that's something that you and Jesus have in common. In fact, I would even want to take it one step further and say it's not just that you have it in common, but it's something that you actually owe to Jesus. Jesus is also the reason why we can't stand this kind of hypocrisy. Our, our lives and our culture... They're far more shaped by Jesus than we usually give him credit for. We've seen it a few times in this sermon series, just how deep Christianity runs in our bones, in our minds, in the air that we breathe. We think Christian thoughts all the time. We have Christian stuff and Christian doctrine on our minds in subtle but powerful ways. And that includes our approach to hypocrisy. Why do we get so worked up about this? Why do we care about a person's private life as well as their public life? Why do we hear about Australian cricket captains sending lewd texts and think, that's abysmal? Shame on him. Why do we hate it when the church is so hypocritical? It is because of Jesus. It's because the Bible introduces us to a God of integrity. A God who doesn't just care about the outward behaviour that others can see, but who makes it very clear that he sees through it, sees past it, sees to the heart. You can't hide stuff from him. You're crazy to think that you can hide stuff from him. He sees past all the the pretty facades that we build up about ourselves and like to show others. He knows what's actually going on for each one of us. Verse 27, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus' view is that all of us are going to be held, for, held to account for what we do. Not just what we do in public, not just what others can see, but also what no one can see. Also what we do in private. And, and that realisation that the public and the private are both seen by God, it changes the game. Because it means that it's no longer good enough for you to do something if you feel as though you can get away with it. You might be able to get away with it when it comes to people, but God sees to the heart. God sees the things done in secret. They matter to him, which means that they should matter to us. Sin is sin, even if you're able to do a darn good job of obscuring it and hiding it and putting makeup over the top of it so it doesn't look quite so bad. The realisation that we're going to be held to account for our actions whether secret or not, has fundamentally changed the way we see ourselves in our world. It's seeped into our society. It's the thing that is the bedrock, the foundation of why we look at hypocrisy and say, no, this is wrong. 
We think these, these biblical God-shaped thoughts all the time and we often have no idea that we're doing it. To be honest, it's one of the reasons why it should kind of freak us out a little bit that Christianity is slowly being hacked away at in our society. Uh, not that we should be some sort of people who just demand that we stay at the centre of everything, but, but what is happening in society with the rejection of Christianity is that we're hacking away at the rope that is holding us to our firm moorings, our moral moorings. We're furiously chopping at that rope saying, we don't want this anymore. All it's going to do is lead us to be floating free in a scary sea where anything goes. And who knows where we end up? Especially when when we know, objective fact, that so many of the things that we just believe to be kind of self-evident truths about how we should treat one another are not self-evident at all. They were taught to us. They were taught to us by the one who knows us best because he created us, he shaped us, he gets us. I hope you're starting to see a bit of what we can also say about hypocrisy, which is that the story of Christianity is actually, on the whole, something to be proud to stand with. The story of Christianity on the whole is something to be proud to stand with. The reality is, Jesus motivates so much good in the world. In spite of some of the awful things that have happened at the hands of Christians, and let's not sugarcoat it, awful things have happened to people at the hands of Christians. But even with that, we can say with confidence that the world that we know is undeniably a better place for having known Jesus, for having listened to him, for having had his people as part of it for so long. Things like universal human rights and schooling for anyone and everyone and organized free health care and, and the end of slavery, both the first time in the Roman Empire and then again when it reared its ugly heads in the 1700s and 1800s. The idea that children and the weak should be protected and not forgotten. The idea that peace is better than violence. These are all good, great things that we look at and go, yeah, I believe that. We cheer them on no matter our religious convictions And we can say with clarity and confidence, these are absolutely Jesus-driven things. They didn't exist before Jesus came in and shook up our world for the better. Jesus changed his people from the inside out, changed you and me from the inside out. And the impact has been that over the centuries, followers of Jesus like us have taken the new perspective we've been given. And slowly but surely, God has changed our world for the better. Even some of the stories of failure in the church, oftentimes there's, there's more to the story when you actually press the details. I mentioned at the start that Christopher Hitchens made this assertion that religion poisons everything, particularly Christianity poisons everything. Uh, there's been some really well-researched pushback to Christopher Hitchens on this topic because it turns out that in order to come to this conclusion that religion poisons everything, he really has had to kind of cherry-pick the data and fudge the facts at times. For instance... He chose to take Joseph Stalin, who, if you know your modern history, was a genocidal maniac, chose to put him in the religious camp, where actually all the evidence point to him, points to him being atheistic. And Martin Luther King Jr., famous preacher of peace, was a minister who quoted the Bible in his rallies, a deeply religious man, but he gets put in the secular category for the purposes of this study by Hitchens. Fudging of the facts... The reality is that there are experts in war and 
war across the centuries, and they say that actually about 7% of wars are religiously motivated. Is that too many? I think it's too many. But it's not the majority. And that's 7% of all religious wars, not just Christian wars. God is not the common denominator when it comes to violence. Actually, it is humanity that is the common denominator. Each of us has this kind of hypocrisy deep in our bones and try as we might, we just can't get rid of it. And it, and it has a way of blurting itself out in these sometimes local, personal ways and sometimes in these grand ways across history. Which takes us to our final point that we really have to emphasise about hypocrisy in the church, which is that there's healing. There's healing for haters and hypocrites like us. And we need to thank God for this one because it's impossible to talk about hypocrisy without being acutely aware that I'm part of the problem. Tom Melbourne is a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. Of course, we we try to do our best to get all Adam and Eve and cover over our shame. Only instead of fashioning, you know, undies out of fig leaves or whatever, we, we cover over our shame by, by putting on these lovely lives that look morally upright. When we all actually know that if you scratch the surface a bit, things are not quite so shiny and neat. The question is not whether we are hypocrites. But it's actually, what are we going to do with our hypocrisy? What are we going to do when we recognise that deep in me, I want to do things that are not right? At that point, I want to urge you to make sure that Jesus is an active and living part of your story, because that is where we find healing for our hypocrisy. The only place we can find this kind of healing. Jesus was famous for eating and drinking with sinners and scumbags. And the religious leaders of the day, they would often stop him at this point and go, Jesus, you are claiming to be a religious teacher, someone who represents God. What on earth are you doing eating with these bad people? They do not belong in God's kingdom. I do not get it. It's the same sort of questioning and the same sort of conclusion that lots of people in our world want to come to today. Why are there so many Christians who just seem to be so bad and and they're not right? I know stacks of people who say that they are not following Jesus because someone in their past who was a Christian was a terrible person and it does not compute. Back when these questions were being asked of Jesus, he gave a very clear answer. He said in Mark chapter 2, you've heard these words before, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. Jesus didn't divide the world into those who need a doctor and those who do not need a doctor. He divided the world into those who are brave enough, honest enough to come to the doctor and those who are stubbornly burying their heads in the sand and saying, I can do this on my own. That's the dividing line. Those cluey enough to go to the doctor and actually tell him something's wrong. I need some help. Versus those who just want to keep up appearances. That's what makes someone a Christian. Being willing to admit your faults to the doctor. And ask for his healing. What it means is that it's actually a bit of a gutsy thing to join a church. It's a gutsy thing to become a Christian. Because becoming a Christian and following Jesus and joining a church, 
involves at its core you admitting, I do not have this. I cannot do this on my own. I am not the good person that I so often give the impression that I am. That's a gutsy thing to do. But when you do it, which I I hope you have done, I hope you have, are not just here thinking this is a little addition to my life that is a nice little tack on. I hope that this is a core thing in your life, recognizing that only here with Jesus can I get the healing that I need. When you make that move, when you put your hand up and say, I need help, it is forthcoming. Your hypocrisy is what took Jesus to the cross. Your failings are what took Jesus to the cross. When you become one of his, you become one of his long-term fixer-upper projects. You've probably seen those shows before. They take a rundown old bit of rubbish and they, they renovate it, bring new life to it. That is you with Jesus. You are being worked on by the master, shaping you and changing you to make you into someone for whom it makes sense that you get to sit with God. Boil it down and and Jesus is the hero of the story. Not the church, not any individual Christian. And that leaves us free to critique, free to critique ourselves, free to critique our churches, free to critique our history. It leaves us free to point to stuff that's happened in the church by Christians and go, yeah, not good, shameful. The church has a massive history of stuff ups. with some great stuff too. But please don't let that be the reason that puts you off of following Jesus. Jesus came for those who need help. Maybe that's you. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, it's so sad to think that your people have so often let down the side, have so often not represented you the way they should, have so often failed to pass on your love and compassion to others. Lord, we repent of what's happened in the past, in the church. We also want to repent on a personal level because we know that we are part of the problem, that none of us is perfect, none of us is beyond doing the wrong thing. Thank you, Lord, that there is healing for hypocrites. Thank you that Jesus is the doctor we can come to and know that he can put us right, that he can fix us up. Lord, if, if there's people listening today who have struggled with the church because they've been hurt, we pray that they would find the hope and the healing that they need. We pray that we would be a church that does a great job of showing people exactly what Jesus is like. And we pray that in his name. Amen.